Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 21st. In today's news, Tony Fauci worries that Operation Warp Speed is playing into the hands of the anti-vaxxers. President Trump considers a travel ban on Brazil as Sao Paulo gets pummeled. And Michiganders reckon with racial disparities, flooding, and threats of defunding. But first, the big idea. A research team that uses cell phone data to track social mobility and forecast the trajectory of this contagion is warning that Dallas, Houston, Southeast Florida's Gold Coast, the entire state of Alabama, and several other places in the South that have been rapidly reopening their economies are in danger of a second wave of infections over the next four weeks. This new modeling, developed by the Policy Lab at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, suggests that most communities in the United States should be able to avoid a second spike in the near term if residents are careful to maintain social distancing as businesses open up and restrictions are eased. But the risk for resurgence is high in certain parts of the country, especially in places where cases are already rising fast, including the counties of Crawford, Iowa, Colfax, Nebraska, and Texas, Oklahoma. Yes, it's confusing, but there's a county called Texas in the state of Oklahoma. The city of Richmond, Virginia, is another cause for concern. At least 92,158 Americans have died from the coronavirus as of this morning. An ensemble model that incorporates 20 different leading pandemic models developed by the biostatistician Nicholas Reich at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst shows a gradual decline in projected COVID-19 deaths over the next four weeks, from about 9,000 this week to 4,000 in the second week of June. But he emphasizes that this is a particularly difficult phase of the pandemic to capture in modeling because of uncertainty about how people will behave as restrictions are lifted. Indeed, this is an anxious moment for our nation as people emerge from shutdowns and communities try to reinvigorate economic activity. Scientists and public health experts are monitoring rates of infections and hospitalizations, but it's so difficult to forecast during this transitional period because the models can't capture how people adhere to social distancing, staying six feet apart, and how often they're washing their hands and how long they're doing it. There are preliminary signs, however, that hot spots could soon flare up in the South and the Midwest. In Texas, there has been an outbreak in El Paso and in meatpacking plants in the Panhandle, specifically Amarillo. The rate of positives in coronavirus tests has gone down as the number of tests has increased. Good sign. And hospitalization rates are holding steady. Republican Governor Greg Abbott has sent surge response teams to places where they're seeing spikes in infections. But the number of daily active cases is still rising in parts of the Lone Star State, particularly Dallas and Fort Worth. Those two cities in North Texas had their highest single-day death toll yesterday. And researchers at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center say that cases in the DFW area could spike this summer with a tripling of daily active cases if there's a significant easing of mitigation efforts. Now, a presentation prepared by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which was reviewed by my Post colleagues, 
suggests that new waves could be steep enough in some places, especially in the South, to overwhelm ventilator capacity. For instance, this internal government data indicates that only 866 ventilators are in use right now in Georgia, which has pursued one of the most aggressive reopening plans. But Georgia's supply of 2,853 ventilators could be outstripped as soon as the end of May. This is, again, according to the federal modeling. States from Arizona to Colorado to Tennessee could face similar shortages, according to these federal projections, which have not been released to the American people. The most alarming reports overnight are coming from Alabama. Alabama will probably experience a steep increase in cases in nearly every county over the next month, according to that policy lab model. The state began easing its stay-at-home order and other restrictions earlier this month. Republican Governor Kay Ivey has allowed restaurants, bars, retail businesses, churches, gyms, and salons to reopen. Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed said last night that his city is facing a shortage of intensive care beds and now being forced to divert patients to Birmingham by ambulance. Birmingham is a 100-mile trip. Mayor Reed says he's at a capacity that is just not sustainable, adding at a news conference, quote, our health care system is maxed out. Now, experts say some communities seem to be abiding much better by social distancing guidelines than others. And I want to give them a shout out. The data show that Denver, Colorado Springs, Columbus, Ohio, and the Research Triangle of North Carolina are looking good in the new forecast. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, President Trump's promise of a warp speed cure to this virus is fueling the anti-vaccine movement. Some of the same online activists who have clamored to resume economic activity, echoing Trump's call to liberate their states from sweeping restrictions, are now aligning themselves with a cause on the political fringe, preemptively forswearing a vaccine. To further their baseless claims about the dangers of vaccines and to portray the scientific process as reckless, they've seized on the brisk pace promised for the project, which the Trump administration branded Operation Warp Speed. Both movements represent the views of a small minority of Americans, but leading medical experts fear that the ability of their adherents to spread misinformation, especially online and social media, could plant seeds of confusion and distrust in the broader public and thereby undermine future efforts to distribute a vaccine that would save lives. Tony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, says that he's grown increasingly worried that the name of the White House initiative has led to misconceptions about what exactly is being put at risk by speeding up the effort. Only financial investments, not safety or efficacy. Fauci said that when people hear Operation Warp Speed, they think, quote, oh my God, they're jumping over all these steps and they're going to put us at risk. But Fauci vowed in an interview with my colleague Isaac Stanley Becker that no steps will be eliminated. Rather, multiple steps from collecting data to preparing to scale up the number of potential doses will be pursued simultaneously, creating risk for the investment, but not for the patient or the integrity of the study. Number two, Sao Paulo, the largest city in the Western Hemisphere, is emerging as the pandemic's latest global hotspot. Confirmed cases in that city have soared 34 percent, and at least 510 people have died in the past week as the public health infrastructure buckles. 
and Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro continues to shrug off the crisis. Across Brazil, more than 1,000 people died yesterday alone of the coronavirus. The country now ranks third worldwide with 255,000 confirmed cases, trailing only the United States and Russia. Trump, who maintains friendly ties with Bolsonaro, a fellow populist, said yesterday that he is considering banning all travel from that country. In other South America news, Bolivia's health minister was arrested last night as part of a corruption probe following an investigation of overpriced ventilators. Marcelo Navajas was detained in connection with an investigation into a $4.2 million contract to buy ventilators that were valued at about a quarter of that price. Number three. Trump is scheduled to visit a Ford plant today in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is in Washtenaw County, where there have been 1,261 confirmed cases and 90 deaths from the contagion. The situation there highlights the racial disparities that this virus has laid bare. Black residents make up 12% of the county's population, but 34% of the confirmed cases. Michigan is dealing with cataclysms on multiple fronts. Yesterday, the state passed a grim milestone, tallying more than 5,000 coronavirus deaths. Though protesters who oppose the state's lockdown rules continue rallying in Lansing, cutting hair on the Capitol lawn to protest the restrictions on barbershops yesterday, few Michiganders are eager to reopen until this virus is contained. Instead, a lot of local leaders are looking inward, examining the cruel realities and the fault lines that have led to the lopsided death toll. Ypsilanti Mayor Beth Basher has been frank, chalking the disparity up to, quote, environmental, systemic, and economic racism. Meanwhile, President Trump threatened to block federal funding from going to Michigan yesterday. The state has announced plans to increase voting by mail to reduce the public's exposure to the virus in November. Without evidence, Trump called the state's plan illegal and he incorrectly claimed that Michigan's, quote, rogue secretary of state is planning to mail ballots to all voters. In fact, the state is planning to send applications for mail-in ballots to all voters, not ballots themselves. But the president's aggressive and unfounded rhetoric drew immediate rebukes from Democrats and voting rights activists who accused Trump of intentionally sowing mistrust in the U.S. election process. And his claims that absentee voting will encourage cheating are also at odds with the activities of GOP leaders who are mounting aggressive field operations, including mass mailings of ballot applications to encourage their voters to cast ballots by mail. And yesterday afternoon, Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, a Democrat, announced that her state will pursue legal recourse over the dam that broke in the central Michigan city of Midland as 10,000 residents evacuated their homes. The local river reached a level more than a foot higher than the previous record. The state says the disaster is the result of historic rainfall, but also deferred maintenance at the Edenville Dam, which is owned by an LLC. The news is just so rough. Flooding. The virus. Locusts. Murder hornets. It can almost feel biblical. So yesterday afternoon, as I was driving home, Cool and the Gang's celebration came on my car radio. And I'll tell you, the upbeat sound was jarring. At first, I assumed it must be some kind of trolling. What on earth is there to celebrate? Then it occurred to me that all of us who are healthy, employed, and free have so many blessings to celebrate in this dark period of death, despair, and democracy in decline. 
If the past is any god, babies being born in America today will have brighter futures and better standards of living than their parents. Students graduating, albeit virtually, have limitless possibilities ahead of them. And maybe, just maybe, a scientist in a lab somewhere just had a light bulb moment that will eventually help her save lives. Thinking about the innovators, the dreamers, and the youths who haven't yet grown cynical from experiencing the vagaries of this brutish world made me realize that there actually are many reasons to celebrate. Light shall shine out of darkness. Tomorrow will be better than yesterday. So I turned up the volume and sang along. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, May 21st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.